You're listening to Al Pastor, the show that helps you love God, love your neighbor, and eat more tacos. I'm your host, Pastor Brian. Welcome to the show. Well, hello. I want to welcome you to today's episode, which is going to be Genesis chapter 38. I want to get right into it. Some of you might have been wondering, like, hey, what's going on? You you kind of uh, dropped off the scene there just a little bit, and I'll save that for a different episode um, to just kind of update everybody and let you know what is happening. Like, are you doing YouTube? You doing podcasts? What are you doing? Anyway, we'll get to all that. But let's let's go over chapter thirty eight because this is a crazy, crazy chapter. Don't want to don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to try to come alongside of you, offer you some hope. Uh, Hope. Yeah, that's what we need. We need hope, right? Um, offer you some suggestions, some insights, a little bit along the way. And so let's just get right into it. Genesis 38, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. So it says, uh, and of course, I'm reading out of the New King James, okay? It says, it came to pass at the time. I want to pause there for a second. So this is a direct connector to the previous event, which would have been what? The selling of Joseph, right? In Dotham. So it says that Judah departed from his brothers. Very significant phrase there. He departed from his brothers. What do you think happened after? Don't want to try to speculate too much, but it seems pretty apparent. Maybe he was feeling some guilt, some shame from what happened. So he departs. And then it says that he visited a certain Adulamite whose name was, uh, I'm going to hope I say this right, Hira. Um, Verse 2, and Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her, and he went into her. So a couple of observations that we need to make from the get-go. Um, he went and visited this Adulamite, which is also a Canaanite. Um, this would seem to indicate some type of familiarity, friendship, which we already know from the story right? That this is not a good idea. And so notice in, in verse two that he sees a daughter. He marries her. He went into her. This is the complete opposite of what you would expect. Normal expectations would be that his father would be involved in this. So, I mean, what, what's going on, Judah? Why, why are you doing this? A little bit of a rebellion there, a little bit of doing his own thing. Didn't we see that with Esau? Yes, we did. And guess what? This is this is the seed. This is the promised seed. So we've got a we Houston, we have a problem, right? But it's nothing that God cannot overcome. And that's what I love about God. That's what we're going to see today. So verse number 3, we see the product of this uh, I'm going to call it an unholy matrimony. She conceived and she bore a son and she and he called his name Ur. Verse 4, she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Then we have a third here. We've got triplets. There is some significance to the, the three sons, but I'm not going to get into that. She conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Chezib when she bore him. Okay, so we have, we have an unholy matrimony. We have three children. Verse 6, then now this is significant. Pay attention. Judah takes a wife for her, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So what in the world is going on here? Why would Judah, you you didn't go to your father, right? 
Your father didn't take a wife for you, so why are you doing this now for your firstborn? Did something happen? We have a number of years, okay? How long now has it been since, since Judah got married, had kids, and now it's time for his kids to get married? I mean, look at the... I always tease Noah when we do, when we do time change. I say, we're going to time travel, right? Well, we just time traveled, folks, a long time. How long? I don't know. But, I mean, geez, we're, we're talking... I'll just give it a nice round number, 20 years, right? So this is a big deal. Actually, I'm going to probably go with 15, but anyway, does we, we can get into that in Bible study if we want to. But I think what is significant here is the transition, why Judah would take a, take a wife for his firstborn. And then who is Tamar? Who is Tamar, right? Um, I would circle her name. She's going to be very, very important. Is this uh, Judah's way of uh, maybe he's having an epiphany, an awakening. Maybe he understands the severity of the situation, how he went wrong, how he went off on his own. Now he's trying to rectify things through his children. Perhaps I would encourage you to read Morris, by the way. Morris is, uh, oh gosh, Morris does just, I think he does a fabulous job on this text. So Tamar. We know that Judah's wife is Canaanite, but it does not specify who Tamar is. Is she Canaanite? Is she not? I tend to lean towards she wasn't. All right. We'll see if that plays any significance. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was, notice this now, wicked in the sight of the Lord. And now notice the next phrase, the Lord killed him. <sighs> All right. Now, I'm just going to speak openly and honestly with you. I personally, this is me, do not have a problem with this whatsoever. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't disturb me. Because if the Bible says he is wicked and the Lord killed him, I trust the Lord in every way. He is perfectly just in every situation. Now, with that being said, I understand that... Not everybody shares this view, and everybody is, you know, on different uh, different paths of the journey as far as their trust in God and trusting God's word. So, a few things. What is the reason that I trust? Is it just because I woke up one day and say I trust? No, because as you get into God's word, you understand. So, there is a history behind why God forbid the marrying of Canaanite people, and it is actually for this very reason because of the propensity of the products of these unholy matrimonies to turn out really bad. Sure, I mean, Judah. Judah's not in the greatest situation with his relationship with God at this point, right? And you marry a Canaanite, Canaanite I mean, what do you expect? Now, now God, God through Noah has already cursed the Canaanites. There's something specific about them. The Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, all of the ites, right? All the Perizzites, the Hivites, Hittites, all of them. So there's something that is going on here. Canaanites are different. They are different. They are in utter and absolute rebellion against God. And so most, most likely this child 
What, what was it that was wicked in the sight of the Lord? We don't know. We can, here's the thing. We can speculate all day long, but the Bible's very short on this, and we don't have any, there aren't any hints, and there aren't any word plays in this. See, there are times when you can, there are times in, in, in what we call biblical exegesis, right? That's, that's how you, you filter out the culture, the words, the structure, the literary points. There are times when you can do this particular type of exegesis and determine hints. We don't have a whole lot of hints other than it's just, it is what it is. It says that he was wicked. So what did he do? I'll leave that up to your imagination. But I will say this, that when we get into the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, it's going to be spelled out just how wicked these Canaanites are. And so most likely Ur, um, as a product of this and the environment that he's growing up with, is not only completely pagan, but he is unholy in rebellion against God. And so God kills him. Sometimes we would ask, well, how did the Lord kill him? Well, um, it's unstated, right? We don't know. We talked a little bit in Bible study that, you know, God is the giver of, of life or your next breath. And, and in a moment, that breath can be gone. Now, <clears throat> um, to put to death, oftentimes throughout the Bible, this, is, this we can lean on a little bit more can be God's judgment, it can be capital judgment, and it can be um, executed through what we would call human agency, meaning although God can use, he can use circumstances or people, it still would be attributed to God as the one that enacts it. So when it says the Lord killed him, we don't know. God could have used a, a calamity. God could have used, you know, um, uh, who knows? Who knows? A number of things. Maybe someone came up and killed him. Who knows? We don't know. That's the point. But again, he's taken out. So verse number eight, then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this custom, it will be it will become evident later on as we read Torah, but this is known as Leverite marriage. The word Leverite is a, um, it's a, it's a Latin origin, and it just simply means brother-in-law. And this actually was a custom in the ancient Near East um, before it was officially codified in the Torah. So what it is, is that if, you're, if the firstborn or one of the brothers um, had not produced offspring or seed, the next brother would line up and as, and as an obligation uh, to his brother and to his name and to his inheritance, you would take on that wife and marry her and provide a seed. Now, we don't see um, Judah saying to Onan, take, her, take on Tamar and marry her. He just says, provide a seed, right? Raise up an heir to your brother. Now, Ur er, er was the firstborn. So we're seeing this theme of the firstborn always, right? It's like it's super important in this culture and society to be the firstborn. Why? Because the firstborn is the one who gets the, the, the bulk of the inheritance. You actually get a double portion now of, of inheritance. So verse 9, now Onan knew that the heir would not be his. And also what did Onan know? 
He's like, man, if I provide a kid to Tamar, he's going to get a double inheritance when I can keep that for myself because I'm the next in line. So when Onan knew that the heir would not be his, it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife. Okay, euphemism. Obviously, we know what that means. We're all adults here. And then it says that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. Now, was this a one-time event? Most scholars and commentators say no. And the idea behind this, and I can provide plenty of documentation if anybody's interested, is that Onan is um, taking advantage of Tamar in this situation to objectify her and use her for his own personal gratification. So he was acting as if he was committing the act. And then, of course, as the Bible so aptly puts it, he emits on the ground. Um, this is, so number one, he's not fulfilling the law of the Leverite, although, again, I acknowledge and admit this law is not codified by God yet, um, but he's he's doing a wicked thing. So verse number 10, this thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Again, not going to belabor the point, but how did God take him out? We don't know. Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah is grown. Now, Judah seems to have an understanding of the importance of this, because this is important. And then and then now it says, for he said, meaning he's having some eternal dialogue here. This is the last part of verse 11. Lest he also die like his brothers. So now Judah is thinking, okay, something is going on with Tamar. Maybe Tamar is causing the death of my sons. Do you see the blindness of Judah? Judah is so deep into his backslidden state that he is blind to the own evilness and wickedness of his own children. But doesn't that happen a lot? I would say so, right? Most of the time our children can do no wrong. I don't think I'm the only one that has experienced that, right? And in fact, they can, and they do. Um, but now the point is Judah seems to think that Tamar is the problem. And so Taman went and dwelt in her father's house. So she's got a promise. She says, I'm, you know, Shayla's going to help provide me. Verse number 12, now in the process of time, depending on your translation, it could be after a long time. Um, but but in other words, Shayla's grown up now. Now, notice that it is the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife. She has passed. So now Judah has two dead sons. His wife has died. And he was comforted. And then he went back to his normal course of life. He went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah. He and his friend. So he still has got this friend Hira here. Again, Hira is not, uh, the Adulamite is a Canaanite, by the way. So again, you can do what you will with this whole friendship, but this is this friendship seems to go deep because this has been a lot, a lot of years, right? I mean, how long? Hira was there. He's, he's the one that very well could have introduced him to uh, the daughter of Shua. He was there for the, maybe he was like godfather. Maybe he was the uncle. So they're close. 
Verse 13, so it was told to Tamar, saying, Look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to share the sheep. So she takes off her widow's garments. She covers herself with a veil. Super, super interesting there, because uh, what's a veil for? A veil is for a wedding. She wraps herself, sat in an open place, which was on the way to Timnah, for she saw that Shayla was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. All right. Now, when Judah sees her, he thought she was a harlot because she had covered her face. Um, I'm going to try to go just a little bit quicker through some of this, okay? Um, bottom line is, is she poses. Is there a deception on her part? Yes, but it is actually just as Judah says. Um, she actually, she's, she's a little bit more righteous than Judah was, right? And Judah thinks that she, this, this is what makes it even worse, Okay. Is Judah, there seems to be an indication. Is she just a harlot? This isn't, this isn't just, um, and this doesn't denigrate anything that has to do with uh, prostitution, human trafficking. When I say denigrate, it's because these are sad situations, oftentimes that women are put in by force, okay? Um, so when I say this, I say this with sensitivity. Tamar was not posing like just walking down Union Avenue. I, I, I just want to make sure that you understand that she... Um, a, a harlot in this case, there's a couple of different words that are used here in the Hebrew. Um, but what it means is a temple prostitute. This means a temple, temple prostitute can be male and female, and it is a person that is set apart, sanctified, consecrated for the worship of a God and part of the um, sacraments of these pagan deities would often be for a participant to engage and sexual activity. And so these temple prostitutes would provide that service so that you can participate in the sacrament. How crazy is that, right? So what? here's the question. What in the world is Judah doing? Do, doing I mean, is, is he completely innocent? Is there... Is, is he thinking he's engaging in worship? Is he just doing this for pleasure? What's going on? That's up for you to decide, okay? So we see this whole thing. He needs a pledge. Um, I mean, he's going to send a young goat from his flock. That's actually, the if, if you, if you kind of go through and, and study that out, or if you have resources that can provide you more information, young goat is actually a really handsome price for what he's doing. So she wants a pledge. She wants his signet cord and the staff that's in his hand. What's the signet and cord? Well, the signet is your form of identification. Uh, normally, it would be worn around your neck, and um, it would be used to press uh, in your official seal into pottery uh, or onto clay tablets, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, I don't want to get sidetracked, but there's so many critics of the Bible that talk about they like, uh, um, you know, like illiteracy or, you know, written form. No, no, no. They had signets back then and they would put them on clay tablets and keep records anyway. So this is what she gets. And so he gives them to her. Now notice in verse 18, he goes into her and look at this. She conceived by him. It is divine activity. I know it sounds strange, but it is the hand in the providence of God. What is God doing here? God 
is going to bring forth his plan, his purpose. He's going to bring forth that seed because we have a threat to the seed. Now, Judah is the is 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 who the seed Jesus Christ himself is going to come through. Now look at what's happening. He Judah blows it, marries a Canaanite. First two kids are dead. He doesn't give his third son and what's going to happen? Well, we'll see here in just a second, but God is protecting his seed. So she conceived by him. First 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 pop. Verse 19. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widow. Notice in verse 14, she took off her widow's garment. Now in verse 19, she puts them on. Highly, highly symbolic. Uh, Verse 20, Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend, the Adulamite. Uh, Anyway, the Adulamite. To receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. And then he asked the men of the place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There was no harlot in this place. Do you hear the music? Dun, dun, dun. It's like, what happened? Verse 22. So he returned to Judah and said, I can't find her. Also, the men of the place say, There's no harlot in here. Verse 23, Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and I have not found her. Yeah, Judah, but you still have a problem. You don't have your signet, and you don't have your staff. Verse 24, then it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. Okay. So Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned. Think about the twisted nature of Judah's psychology at this moment. I understand it's cultural, but Judah is withholding his son from her. She is pledged. She is still pledged to the family of Judah. And now because she's with a child, Judah gets all self-righteous for a second and saying she's played a harlot. Like she's cheating. This is crazy, guys. So notice his judgment. Bring her out and let her be burned. So verse 25, she was brought out. She sent her father-in-law saying, by the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And then she's, I love this. I mean, can you see it? It's like a poker hand. I know where you don't play poker, right? I shouldn't have said that. It's like a poker hand. Are you bluffing? She lays down like a royal flush. Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. I hear the music again. Dun, dun, dun. Verse 26. So Judah acknowledged them and said, she's been more righteous than I. Judah saying something very true here. Because I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he never knew her again. All right, verse 27, now it came to pass at the time for giving birth that behold, twins. Ah, we got some twins here. Twins are in the womb. What's going on with that? And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put his out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. Ah, do you see the beauty in this? This one came out first. It's always about being first, isn't it? So you got a hand that pops out. 
And then it happened as he drew his hand back that his brother came out unexpectedly. And she said, how did you break through this breach be upon you? Therefore, his name was called Perez. Folks, highlight this. I don't know how much you're going to appreciate or get it. I don't even know how well I'm going to communicate it in this moment. But this is where the line of Jesus is breaking through into the story. It is beautiful. How did you break through? I imagine that's exactly what the demon said. How did you break through when Jesus walked on this earth, when he would cast out those devils? How did you get here? Well, his name is Perez. His name is Breakthrough. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke chapter 4, right? He has anointed me. This is just beautiful. So the first, remember the first, the first came out, they tied the scarlet cord, but guess who came out first? So te technically, technically Perez is what? The second born, because they consider when that hand popped out, you're the first born, we tied the cord on you. But uh-uh, here's Perez, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zira. Zira. Oh my gosh, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. So what I said in the in my sermon this morning, I'm recording this on Sunday, by the way, is that we're going to get little glimpses here and there of the seed, but we've been seeing God's activity um, explicitly down through the lineage. Okay, now God is going to continue working but we're going to see his work on a national level. We will get some glimpses of the seed, specifically like what we're dealing with here, and we won't really see that again to this extent until the story of Ruth. Very interesting, right? Ruth and Boaz. And guess what? What is that story about? Leverite marriage. Because Boaz does the right thing. So here's my proposition to you. Boaz, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer, right? But he's also reversing the curse. He's, he's doing what Judah should have done in the first place. Oh, oh, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. I'm going to have to, I'm going to document that because I'm sure other people have observed it. But anyway. Um, beautiful, beautiful picture. And so guys, I'm going to leave you with that. Um, here's my advice. Uh, if you're struggling with something, it's okay. It's okay. Use, use your resources, whatever it is, whatever you're using, use Morris, the Genesis record, read it, read it good. Read the Bible knowledge commentary, read the faith life. I know sometimes they'll argue. Some people will say one thing and another will say another thing. That's okay. Use your resources. Give this some thought, okay? But really, uh, wow, what a beautiful picture. All right, if there's anything I can be praying with you about, let me know. And uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Al Pastor with Brian Overturk. If you found value in this, please subscribe and get updates. Most places podcasts are available. We're right here on Anchor FM through Spotify. Also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Amazon and iHeartRadio. I hope you'll tune in for the next episode. Until then, we'll see you later.